Good morning. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. And chapter 15. If you've been with us for some time, you know that we have been uh, studying through the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. We took a break during the month of December to look at some passages anticipating the birth of Jesus. Um, we're going to continue that break outside of Genesis for a few more weeks, and then mid-January we'll jump back into that Old Testament book. And this morning we're going to be in uh, John 15. And because today is the last day of the year, we all know what that means, right? It is the magical day that we get every year where we can make resolutions, goals and promises that are sure to come to fruition because of this special day on the calendar. Every year, we people put forth thought planning organizing, we make schedules, we do research, we invest money in order to achieve these resolutions for the new year, whether they be for diet, exercise, maybe they're for a growth in personal knowledge or career advancement or financial stability, we think this is it. This is the year. This is the year of the new me, this is when I will see it all through. This is when I will accomplish all that I desire. I have said these things before. And judging by your reaction, maybe you have too. Now for the most part, I don't, I don't have a problem with resolutions. Most of the time they can be worthy goals and things worth pursuing. And most of the time, our problem isn't the resolutions themselves, it's what? It's keeping them, isn't it? February is eerily absent of resolution talk, is it not? We can recognize that these are worthy endeavors, things to invest in, but they are often difficult to achieve. And we can even discover that if we have partners in these endeavors to keep us accountable, to motivate us, they often can keep us on track to pursue these goals. And the success rate might go up, but all that is still dependent on the commitment and the determination of the individuals involved in those endeavors. Now, what if, what if we had a partner in pursuit with us, a partner who had perfect commitment? What if, what if we had a partner who was unwavering in steadfastness? And what if the partner with us, the very resolution that they joined us in was the relationship with that individual itself? So let me suggest for us this morning, that there is a pursuit and a resolution that is far greater, far more worthy than any of the rest that we can write down. And
then there is one who is eager to partner with us in that very pursuit and that pursuit is the relationship with that partner. The most worthy resolution for us to consider this morning is cultivating and deepening a friendship with Jesus. The most worthy pursuit for us in this coming year is to cultivate, to pursue a deepening of a friendship that Jesus is eager to have with us. And he is committed to partner with us in it. Let's consider this text. We're in John 15. We're going to look, we're going to jump in the middle of a conversation. Starting in verse 12. This is God's holy and authoritative word. This is the voice of the Lord, King, and Savior. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. May God bless the reading of this word, the preaching of this word, for the consideration of our hearts to be transformed by this word. Now, consider with me for a moment the context of these words. Jesus is with his disciples, the ones closest to him. He has gathered together on a final evening with them before his crucifixion and death. This group of men, they have spent many meals together. Many conversations have rolled far into the night as they spent time together. But here, here Jesus is addressing them in these hours just before he will depart from them in death. And here, Jesus chooses to speak at length about relationship with them. In these final hours with these men that he has gathered close to him, what is most valuable, most important, most pertinent for him to lay off of his heart and onto theirs? And he at length throughout all these verses surrounding our text speaks about this eager relationship, this eager friendship he is wanting to have with them. What must they know? This friendship with Jesus 
is what is most valuable, is what is most important. It is the most worthy endeavor. And there are necessary means to have and to know this friend and to live in the good of his friendships. He wants them to understand his full commitment to befriend them and that their greatest joy is to enjoy the fullness of that friendship. This is our our main point for us this morning because it was Jesus' main point for his disciples in their final hours. Friendship with Jesus is the most worthy pursuit. Friendship with Jesus is the most worthy resolution. Jesus, just hours from these words, he will supremely demonstrate his commitment to friendship with them. Jesus has, in his death on the cross, supremely demonstrated his commitment to befriend sinners. And therefore, those who will know that love should be fully committed to pursuing the depth of that friendship. This this sermon, so you know, was was born out of personal wrestling. As I thought about the idea of a new year and things to pursue and my desire that stirred in me through prayer was, I just, I want to know deeper what it means to be friends with Jesus. And I was surprised to discover these words that Jesus here has such a commitment to that endeavor as well. So I want us as a church to consider, consider this for the days ahead, to ponder the reality of Jesus' supreme commitment to befriending you, a sinner, the God who spoke all things into existence, the one who made the stars, the skies, the seas, the earth, and you deeply desired and is so committed to being friends with you. And to lean into his eager pursuit of you is the most worthy endeavor of your life and will produce the greatest depth of joy. So let's just kind of look at this in in two main headings. First, let's just look at how deeply committed Jesus is to befriending the unworthy. This is just ours These words spoken to the disciples from the greatest demonstration of love. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this. What? That someone lay down his life for friends. The greatest display of love. Jesus says, of this commitment of love to those before him is to lay down his life for his friends. This, this right here is the marvelous truth of the gospel message. The gospel message, the good news that Jesus accomplishes. Accomplishes for what? To make those who are enemies 
his friends. In order to befriend the unworthy, in order to take those who are enemies and make them friends, one must lay down his life. Jesus demonstrates commitment to relationship by laying down his life. This small group of men here have been invited into relationship with Jesus. They've spent many days walking with him, learning from him, observing his miraculous acts, seeing his demonstrations of mercy and kindness. They know something of him. They know of his wisdom. They know of his humility. And they profess a commitment to him. They speak of a love for him. They know something of his love for them. But in verse 13, Jesus tells them of all that we have experienced, of all the moments we have spent together, the meals that we have shared, the conversations we have enjoyed, of all of those moments to to grab hold of as expressions of love, the greatest display of my love for you, my friends, is my laying down of my own life. He wants them to understand that what is about to take place, this supreme display of love, is a demonstration of his commitment to be their friends. It is necessary for friendship with Jesus. This this is why it's called the greater Love The death of Jesus is the necessary display of love for friendship with all those who would follow him and love him because it is the only way that you can make enemies friends. Why is that so? Why is that the reality? Why can't, why can't we just work, work our way into the heart of Jesus? Why can't we just obey our way into friendship with the Savior? Why can't we just do the things that are written down before us and accomplish our way into this friendship? We have to see. We have to see each and every one of us has to see our own selves as those who were at enmity with God. Enemies of the one who has made us. Why? Because sin is rebellion against the holy God we were just singing about. Sin is is this stiff arm to relationship with God. And all mankind is engrossed and enwrapped by that sin. Our hearts have been broken because of sin. The sin in the garden has left us all without hope without any way of earning our way back into fellowship. Romans 5 says that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. There is only one way to restore the relationship of sinners, enemies, mankind, stiff-arming a relationship with God, only one way to restore it. Jesus laying down his life. 
as the supreme act of love and commitment to friendship. The gospel message is the good news of Jesus sacrificing himself to save sinners so that we can be friends with him. That's good news. That's good news for us this morning to be reminded of this truth. The gospel has redeemed enemies to make us friends. And this supreme commitment that Jesus displays is not just a saving work to bring some to him, but we must see that it is a work that we did not deserve. Paul in Romans 5 says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. What's he saying there? He's saying maybe, maybe a friendship that has enough love, may, maybe someone would die for someone who is, is righteous. Maybe. Or perhaps maybe if they're like a good person, one would dare even to die. But his argument is no. God shows his love for us that while we were not righteous, not good, but sinners, Christ died for us. The greater love of laying down life is, is astonishing because he lays down his life for those who don't deserve it. That's me and that's you. The gospel truth Believed by faith, through the heart-changing work of the Spirit, it gives us a new understanding of the person of Jesus. It, it opens our eyes to see that this good news is not just a news that we can, that we can assign ourselves to, but it's a news that's once believed opens our eyes to the beauty of the one who purchased it for us. Do, do you see the reality of this? Christianity is not just about signing up and checking our boxes on some truths and doctrine. It's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about God making blind men to see the beauty of the Savior come to make them their friends. That's what Christianity is. It is relationship with the one who has made us through his marvelous act of mercy in laying down his life. This is critical for us to see. This is why in 2 Corinthians, Paul puts it this way. The God, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown on our hearts to give us the light, the light, the seeing, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is the wonder and reality of the fullness of the one who has made all things. So, so get this picture here. There are those Mankind who is so broken by sin that we, we cannot see. Our sin has so separated us from relationship with 
God that it has blinded us so that we cannot see. And that God who spoke the Son by his mouth speaks to the sinner and says, let light shine. And our eyes are open to see his glory. Now get this, because this is crucial. What is that glory? What does it mean to see the marvelous realities of the fullness of God? Paul goes on, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There was a time in my life where I saw not the glory of God. And then I saw the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God in knowing, seeing, and believing that that one so desires my friendship that he died for me who didn't deserve it. That's the miracle of the new birth, of the changing of our hearts to believe the good news of the gospel. It's a miracle. It's not what we can do in ourselves. And that is what Jesus is so eager to communicate to his friends in a few hours. I will lay down my life in a greater love reality than the world has ever known. And to know that and to believe that is to see the commitment of Jesus in befriending the unworthy. Jesus highlights this in verse 16. He just wants them to get it. He says, listen, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I came to you. I called you to myself that you might see my committed love to you. There has not been one believer on the face of this earth who has trusted in Jesus who deserved it. Not one. But God is so overflowing in grace and love and mercy and deep desire to befriend us that he would come and let light shine out of darkness. So the question for maybe someone sitting here this morning, has God done that in your heart? Have you, have you had the eyes of your heart opened to see the glory of God in the saving beauty of Jesus for you? And let this be known God is calling you this morning. This word is unto you that you might respond to it in faith and say, I want that kind of friend. I, I need that kind of friend. He's here this morning communicating a committed love that you can know him as your friend if you would just have him. Jesus wants to be your friend. And maybe, maybe you have those questions. Yes, I can see that Jesus would befriend some, but, but not me. 
not me. I, I know that I'm not enough. You don't know, Pastor Dan, you don't know my past. You don't know the things I've done, the things I've thought, the things I've said. I'm, I'm, I'm too damaged for that kind of love and kindness. I've made too big of a mess of things. Listen, that's the point. The gospel says that's true. You're not enough. You are too damaged. You have made a huge mess, but this is why it's a greater love. It's an overcoming love. It's a cleansing, welcoming, laying down his life love. There is no one too far from this greater love that cannot know and be friends with Jesus. Dane Ortland, in his wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly, talks about this friendship of Jesus this way. He says, here is the promise of the gospel and the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. This is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean or how attractive or revolting or how faithful or fickle we presently are. The friendliness of his heart for us subjectively is as fixed and stable as the declaration of his justification objectively. It means Jesus loving, extending friendship to sinners is as sure as the gospel justifies us in reality. It cannot waver. But our second major heading for us this morning is seeing this deeply committed desire of Jesus to befriend us invites us into relationship with him. Again and again, throughout this conversation, at this final evening with his disciples, Jesus keeps telling them to abide in his love, to remain in his friendship. D.A. Carson says this, however much God's love for us is gracious and undeserved, what we just said, continued enjoyment of that love turns, at least in part, on our response to it. So this is the, the resolution, right? The resolve for us is now to consider in the next few minutes, what does it mean? Okay, I, I wanna see, I wanna see the, the, the great reality that Jesus would ever wanna make me his friend. What does it mean for me to respond to it? To, to take part in it, to, to lean, to be embraced in that friendship? What does it mean to abide in his love for me? Jesus tells them in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Again and again, Jesus 
makes a connection throughout this, and I encourage you, you can read chapters 14, 15, 16, all this conversation later. Jesus again and again makes a connection of his loving friendship in relationship with them and obedience to his word. And he demonstrates that and illustrates that by saying, you know what great friendship, unhindered, wonderful, perfect friendship and relationship looks like? Look at me and my relationship with my father. And Jesus says again and again and again, I do all that my father commands me. Because this is perfect love. And so you want to know how to lean in, how to abide in my love, how to be a part of and enjoy this miraculous friendship that is extended and inviting you in. Do what I command you. Now let me tell you, this personal burden, when I got to this point, it surprised me a little bit. When I thought I want to grow in my friendship with Jesus, I thought, okay, I'm going to go study the Bible. I'm going to think about this. And I'm going to learn how to, to grow my prayer life and my Bible reading. And I kept reading here and Jesus kept saying, do what I command. Do what I command. I said, yeah, no, I know that part. How do I grow my prayer life and my Bible reading? And he said, do what I command. Now we're going to get to the prayer and the Bible reading because it's connected. But we cannot get out from under this reality that Jesus so connects his, his deep committed friendship and invitation into it with his commandments, with his will, with his word. Now, here's the crucial part. There's a little word in the middle of verse 14 that if we get this word wrong, we will flip everything on its head and mess it all up. Verse 14, you are my friends, what does it say? If you do what I command. What kind of if is that? We need to know. It cannot be this kind of if that is conditional for the friendship. Why can it not be that kind of if? Well, because of the whole first half of the sermon. And because of what Jesus is saying immediately before these things in reminding them. Look back at verse 12. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. And then this greater love, this love that I have loved you with is demonstrated in the laying down life that brings about the ability to have friendship. This is critical. We cannot read verse 14 in a conditional way and think, Jesus will be my friend if I do all the commands. That's not what's going down here. It doesn't make it a conditional cause. Jesus is making it clear to his disciples that our obedience to his commands are not what qualify us for his friendship. But they are the effect and the confirmation of his loving friendship. Do you see the difference? In one way... We would take 
the commands of the Bible, write them out in a list, and they would be our New Year's resolution solely so that we then could earn friendship with Jesus. And Jesus is telling his disciples, your friendship is not contingent on the commands being obeyed, but our friendship has an effect in your life, a confirming work in your life. Those who love me and know me and see my committed friendship to them will have a fruit and effect of obedience in their lives. So, we know that the love of Jesus and receiving his friendship, supremely demonstrated by his laying down his life for us, has a confirming effect in our lives as we obey his commands. The friendship with Jesus is to know him and know what he is doing and to live life unto him. This is why Jesus clarifies this in verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the master is doing. Think about that relationship. A servant-master relationship is a relationship that is based on strictly command and obedience. But Jesus says that's not the relationship. The relationship is no longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you all that the Father has made known to me. Je Listen, the Bible just doesn't tell us what to do. It tells us the heart of God in why to do it and how to have joy in and through it. The Bible isn't a master-servant command relationship. It is, it's God making friends with us. He wants to have relationship with us. And that relationship comes to its fullness of expression when we see his heart and his commands and carry them out in obedience. This is critical. The obedience doesn't make us friends, but the obedience does prove our friendship. We cannot, we, the Bible will not let us say, yeah, I'm friends with Jesus, and walk away from what he commands. Friendship with Jesus calls us deeper into obedience to him. And this obedience comes and flows out of that heart that has been open to see the beauty of who he is. We obey not, not just words on a page and motions with our hands. We obey from a heart that has been transformed. Obedience to Jesus must always be embedded in this friendship and relationship to him. It cannot be stripped down to a just tell me what to do. Like how we handle a lot of those New Year's resolutions, right? I want to get more in shape. I don't need all the science stuff. Just give me the workout plan. Right? I want to eat healthy. I don't, don't talk to me about macros and micros. I don't even know what any of that stuff means. Just give me a meal plan. Just tell me what to do. Friendship with Jesus that flourishes in obedience isn't just stripped down to a just give me the commands and I'll do the things. It flows from a heart that has 
been opened to see the glory of God in his beautiful face. We can learn, we can learn how to play a guitar, right? We can learn how to play a tune on a guitar. We can learn the chord shapes, the strum pattern, what tempo looks like. Our fingers can be trained to memorize the steps and operate the motions. But if we learn all of those mechanisms and do them flawlessly, we cannot play the beautiful song if the guitar is out of tune. You see, this, this is what the Christian life is like. We, we, cannot, we cannot just go through steps of discipleship, go through the motions of what it looks like to be a Christian if we neglect to tune our hearts to play a love song of friendship with Jesus. Our Bibles would be a lot thinner if it was just commands. But it's not, is it? Why? Because God wants us to know him, to experience him, to know something of his heart so that our hearts are tuned to relationship with him and then expressed in loving acts of obedience unto him. So he doesn't just tell us what to do, he tells us who he is and what he loves, and what he hates, so that our hearts would be tuned to play his song. And here's what I know and have experienced. And you may be asking this question. I like where you're going, Pastor Dan. This idea of deepening a friendship with Jesus, that sounds real nice, but I've, I've tried some things before, and I can, I can feel real stale in my relationship with the Lord. My heart just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's, it's burning with this loving friendship. I've been there. We need to ask this question. Because it's, it's real easy. Here's where I want to go with that myself. I, I want to go, okay, maybe I just need a fresh book. And listen. Your pastors love to read and love to have you read, so I'm not knocking books. Or maybe I just need a new Bible reading plan. Or maybe I just need a new, a new strategy for prayer. That's, that's where I want to go. But I often fail to consider that the sweetness and depth of my friendship with Jesus might feel stale because I am failing to see and unattending to patterns of disobedience in my life. Could I have a Bible reading plan? Sure. Could I walk deeper into ways to pray? Absolutely. Could I read a book that gives fresh Wonderful things to do. But if I don't stop and consider, are there places in my life, patterns that I see, parts of my heart that are not leaning into obedience to his commands? And therefore, hindering the sweetness of friendship with him. If you love me, you will obey my commands. You are my friends if you do what I 
command. Sweetness and depth of friendship with Jesus is hindered by pockets of disobedience. And so, if we take up this resolve, this endeavor, this pursuit of leaning into friendship with Jesus, we have to ask those questions. We have to pause and pray and consider and examine and maybe even ask others, are there ways that I'm not walking in full obedience to the Lord? And, le and let, me, let me give you some advice in this area in asking that question. If you ask that question and ask God to reveal every little part of sin, you're going to exhaust yourself. I have found that, that wanting to deepen friendship with Jesus by leaning in and finding areas of disobedience to be resolved in my life works best when I identify patterns of sin. Where is something that is getting repeated over time and I can see it spring up as I look back on my week and month? A way I have responded consistently to certain situations. That's, that's a pattern that we can identify, that we can call out, that we can name. There it is. There is, and don't just call it the sin. There is what's hindering my friendship with Jesus. There is what's, what's hindering me from seeing more fully the glory of God in the beautiful face of the Savior. Sin gets in the way of friendship with Jesus. And so we want to grow, grow to identify and eradicate what keeps us from this friend who is so committed to us. Now Jesus does mention throughout this text helps for us, grace for us, because that's what we need, don't we? If we're going to pursue this pursuit, to lean into friendship, to identify things that hinder us, we need God's grace and his help. And Jesus in this text mentions over and over again these, these means of grace to help us. Earlier in this conversation, Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm sending to you a helper. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us deepen our friendship with God. That's, that's, that's the purpose of God's Spirit indwelling you is to help deepen your relationship with Him. The Helper will, will convict you, will help you identify those things that are hindering you, will encourage you and spur you on in pursuing friendship with Jesus through obedience. We have the Helper. Jesus calls us more and more into this friendship by knowing Him through His revealed Word. John begins his gospel identifying Jesus as the Word made flesh, and we have seen his glory, glory in the fullness of God, full of grace and truth. Again and again, God says, If you want deep relationship with me, you must know me, and here is how you know me. We read our Bibles 
to know the God who's eager for relationship with us. This is a book about relationships, so we need, we need to spend time in it. I once had someone tell me when I talked to them about reading the Bible, and they said, I'm, not, I'm just not that much of a reader. I try, but I'm not a good reader. And then he said, so I have my Bible, so I just, I like, I hold it. And I, and I just hold it close to me. That's like me in my marriage saying, you know what, hon, I love you and I love being with you, but I just don't want you to talk to me. <laughs> I'm looking this way. <laughs> I do want her to talk to me. God wants to talk with us and love us. And let us in to know him. That's why Jesus says it, uh, that we're not servants, we're friends, because we will know all that the Father has made known. And then in the close of this text, Jesus tells us that we can ask anything in his name and the Father will give it to you. No, that is not a new car. It's in this context, right? It's in this context of friendship, obedience, and love. And therefore, we can ask God to help us to walk in obedience, to, to lean into friendship, to understand his word, to be helped by the spirit. All those prayers that God will hear and respond to. And now all of this is a pursuit that I said was worthy of pursuing. It is a pursuit that is worthy of pursuing because Jesus desperately wants to befriend us and for us to lean into this friendship through obedience because he wants us to have fullness of joy. All the resolutions that people make is really all wrapped up because they want to be happy, right? We want joy. And Jesus says, you want joy, here is joy. That's why he says right before our text in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Friends, do you want the fullness of joy that is ready for you today and tomorrow? It comes in friendship with Jesus. Fullness of joy, wrapped up in friendship, love, and obedience with this one who has supremely demonstrated his commitment to befriend those who don't deserve it. As we walk in obedience to Jesus, our friendship with him will deepen and become sweeter and our joy will rise. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, Obedience will gladden you with the blissful presence of your Lord. And in that presence, you shall find fullness of joy. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the wondrous truth of this word. 
for the demonstration of the, the marvelous commitment of Jesus, the Savior King, wanting to befriend those who don't deserve it. May that stun us today. May that astonish us today. May it warm our hearts afresh to lean into this friendship. May your spirit be at work and call us and identify for us areas of obedience that you want us to pursue and walk out. May you help us to be stirred to be those who deeply love one another together in this pursuit. May you have your way with our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.